Hey, Book Club gang, just a quick content warning on this episode. In the first issue of the story that we're reading this week, there's a pretty heavy scene dealing with self-harm. So just wanted to give you guys a heads up on that. Take care, love you guys as always, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Schreckbein. Hey, how's it going, Matt? I'm doing very well. How are you guys? Doing great, doing, doing great. Good. I was going to mention this later, but I'll go ahead and throw it in now. I'm on the I'm on your podcast this week, on the Letterhack podcast. Yes, and uh, it had more downloads than, than normal Aww. episodes. Oh, really? Have, so. That was just me yeah. downloading it a bunch of times <laughs> for, oh, to okay. listen to myself. Wow. <laughs> Uh, that was great. It was a really oh, good yeah, episode, Thanks too. for doing that. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was a lot of fun as part of your podcast takeover series. So, yeah, thanks for letting me ramble on. It was a good time. I've really been enjoying your episodes lately. Oh, good. Great. Thanks. This one about Judy today was uh, that I just heard today was really good. Oh, that was funny. True story. <laughs> <laughs> and give us a review if you're enjoying the show. Also, follow us on all of our social medias and share our posts. That really helps us out. Tell your comic-minded friends and all your pals about the show. Bother them until they agree to do a podcast with you about it, just like I've done here. (laughs) (laughs) I want to thank Alexis Alexander for giving us some love on Facebook and Instagram this week. Hey, you damn guys. I'm Alexis. I'm a big fan. Love the show. I've been listening at work in the morning, not caught up yet on episode 53, and just wanted to say can't wait for more episodes. She also mentioned that her profile picture is a mashup of If Storm Was Dedicated to Hecate. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Welcome to the book club. Yeah, thanks a lot. Also, shout out to the Hellboy Source on Instagram for always sharing us. And Podbean on Twitter gave us some love this week. They said, what's your hashtag Friday motivation? Ours is reliving our comic book days through the Hellboy Book Club podcast. That yeah. was that was pretty sweet. I, I thought that was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, they said thank you for making a cool podcast and talking about our cough, my favorite comics. Mm-hmm. Also, thanks again to Mister Forp on Twitter. Thanks to the Hellboy Book Club, I've discovered the depths and joy of Hellboy and Mike Mignola and what he's created. If you're an old fan like me, go check it out. But beware, you'll be buying books and digging through your archives again. <laughs> And now we're going to go on to some listener feedback. You read a story. We talk about it. You hate them guys us. And it's a book club. Get out. We had a Hey You Damn Guys from Brandon Wilder. He said, Hey guys, I am behind an episode or two and listening to all the talk about Howard's. It might be a stretch, but I think the connection is similar to the timeline of connected characters in the Robert E. Howard literary work. He would keep these small reference points in his stories, alluding to the characters being descended from the previous one. Call the Atlantean being the first, then Conan, then Bran MacMorn, and finally Kirby O'Donnell. In one of the Kirby books, he faces an ancient sorcerer, and a part explains how he imagines his past life, even in Bran. He sees Ireland as part of a phantom land that stretches past the seas, as it would have been during the time of Hyperborea. These points in the stories explain their connection, which I think Howard's could be a nod to in the BPRD, or not. Now that I write it out, it sounds crazy. Yeah, I don't know too much about... Do you know... You read a lot of Conan, right? Yeah, I read a lot of Conan, but 
I never really got into the rest of that stuff. Oh, I, I see. Yeah. I, I dabbled here and there, but Conan's where it's at. I'll be honest, I only really know about Cole because they made that movie Cole the Conqueror in the 90s. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it, it sounds like what he's saying is like the uh, characters are like Cole is reincarnated to Conan, is reincarnated right, to the next yeah. one and so forth. And they're trying to say that, I guess, he's trying to connect it to Howard's being Gal Dinar reincarnated into Howard's. Right, right, or some, or it being a nod to that kind of connection. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that's a great idea. I mean, why not? Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting thought. I still don't think it's a reincarnation thing. Right. I don't. We had some feedback on our Lobster Johnson, the Burning Hand episode. Ryan Yule said, you guys always crack me up. Sadly, I do not own the second page from issue two of the Burning Hand. Oh, if yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. If I did, it would certainly be available for Strackbine. I don't, cool. yeah, I don't own any of Zonich's original art, which is surprising because I love how he draws Lobster Johnson. I think it's spot on. I never found one of his pages available for sale that was right for me. I'll need to correct that in the future. Anyway, thanks for the free funny. Back to you, John. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good one. Nicholas Orizaga, he also had some great pieces of feedback on this story. He posted when Kamala cut open Massimo to learn his secrets. And then he posted the definition for spilling one's guts. To speak truthfully and share everything one knows about something. So it's kind of like... It's uh, Ah, figuratively and literally spilling his guts, right? She got him to spill his guts. (laughs) Yeah. And he also mentioned they had the Indian, those people dress up like Indians to try and scare everybody. Mm -hmm. There was a rumor at the time that there were Indians that wanted revenge for being cheated out of Manhattan Island. And he posted this article by Mental Floss called, Was Manhattan Really Bought for $24? And it was really interesting. I read through it and it was talking about how a lot of people think that the Indians or the natives, whoever was selling the Manhattan at the time, they that they didn't understand like the value of it or they didn't understand money or they were stupid, but that it wasn't about that. They simply thought that they were allowing them to live there too. Yeah. Like almost like a renter's fee or something like that. That's what they took it as. And so anyway, there was an interesting article about that, but I like how that ties into that historical fiction that we always talk about. Regardless of all of that, so many indigenous people that used to occupy this land were victims of genocide and still are and that's still happening and land is still being like stolen and it's so bad thanks um he also said i wonder if arnie wald gave these cannibals a home so that when he bought up the land and started raising the buildings they wouldn't come out of the sewers the part with the cannibals in the basement recalls one of John Arcudi's earliest homicide stories from Dark Horse Presents number 24. It was the first story, in fact, of his underrated crime horror series that featured Sergeant Will Ford, Detective Guzman, and Oxo Carnhus, who's a.k.a. The Creep. That's another comic that John Arcudi did, and I think Mignola's even done some covers of those Creep comics. That's cool. Yeah, but he posted also a picture from that comic, and it was very reminiscent of the cannibals coming out of the basement in that Lobster Johnson story. Hmm. And he also shouted out Lobster Johnson's multicultural crew. Yeah, that's actually pretty cool because, you know, back then, it's not just back then. Right, yeah. (laughs) We had some feedback on our Sledgehammer 44 and Lightning War episode. When I posted Matt's teaser, thank you for putting together that teaser image for me, Matt. I didn't have the back issues for that. 
Tales from the Chris said, this is a fun series. I somehow was able to get the trade for like $12 a year ago, and now the prices are insane everywhere. I didn't realize that. That trade is, um, I guess it goes for a lot. Wait, which trade? The Sledgehammer 44 one. Oh, that is crazy. And Jan Niklas also commented on the teaser. He said, yay, Sledgehammer, but also nay, because the name always makes me think of this charming fella here. And it's that 80s cop sitcom. I didn't know about <laughs> yeah. that. Do you know about that sitcom, Matt? Wait, yeah, I watched it um, when I was a kid. It, it was like it was like Naked Gun, the TV show. Oh, it sounds um, very familiar. And it was cop, he's like ultra violent in a funny way. It wouldn't hold up these days because cops really are ultra violent, <laughs> and they think it's okay. And this was like, but it was campy. It was like intentionally. They never tear down the fourth wall or right, whatever. Right. You know, they wink at the audience on a regular basis. Yeah, and I think somebody else mentioned that too. Jason Abaddon also mentioned that 80s sitcom. And so he was named Sledgehammer? Yeah. It was like if Dirty Harry, it took place in San Francisco. He had the same gun as Dirty Harry. And I think he named his gun. I can't remember. But it was just all about him just being, you know, an imbecile. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like real campy. When I posted about the Band of Brothers reference on Sledgehammer, Lobster20,000 said, nicely spotted. And Sir Edward Gray on Twitter said, had no idea. This is why you damn guys are the best. Easter eggs. And uh, Lobster20,000 also said, I need a Sledgehammer action figure right now, which would be awesome. That would make a great action figure. Oh, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. All of these characters would make great, great action yeah. figures. Mark Tweedell said, Lightning Wars covers really made me sit up and pay attention to Lawrence Campbell's sense of composition. There's so much sketchbook material with him exploring cover ideas, and it's always great. And Lawrence Campbell actually responded to that. He said, thanks, Mark. Clayton Schofield on Twitter, Sir Edward Gray said, a pair of stories that I always love to revisit. Excited to hear this one later tonight. And he posted, he's got a Lawrence Campbell sketch of the Sledgehammer armor. Nice. And it was really cool, and he posted also, um, he's got a really cool print of the Sledgehammer that's, I I think, long out of print on the Art of Mike Mignola's website. Nicholas Orizaga said, The Steel Hawk is yet another Peter Lorre homage. That's three of them now. Check out his character from Mad Love, which is from 1935, and he posted a pic of Lorre as Dr. Gogol from the movie, and actually shared that today. Yeah, I saw that. I wasn't that. aware of that. It looks exactly like the character. It, it made me think when I saw it, it's like, okay, we need him, the other guy, and then the other guy to do it. Like, they need a comic of the three of them together. Yeah. Out of continuity, just for hilarity's sake. <laughs> Drew Campbell said, you probably looked this up by now, but BPRD The Dead was published from November 04 through March 05, and Sledgehammer was published from September 07 to January 08, so... The Dead was the first appearance of the Vril suit. Fun German fact, the Black Flame calls Sledgehammer turtle, which literally means shield toad. Yep, the German <laughs> word for turtle is shield toad. <laughs> he also said some more German fun. Lightning War is the English translation of Blitzkrieg. The root blitz means lightning, and the German word for thunder is Donner. So Santa's reindeer Donner and Blitzen are literally thunder and lightning donner is also the germanic name for thor so the god of thunder is actually just named thunder studying german is super fun and uh, jerry turnbull said rudolph is powered by the vril (laughs) 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 that's canon yeah i know that's good (laughs) and jerry turnbull also said he watches uh, band of brothers every year 
at their house. And so he also recognized that reference in Sledgehammer. And he also posted a picture from David Sanchez from the Mike Manila's Art on Facebook group. He's got a really cool cosplay of the Sledgehammer armor. Did you see that? Yes, I did. That was pretty sweet. Yeah. Jan Niklas commented, he said, lobster means Hummer in German. Yes, like the car, you drive a lobster. And <laughs> and Pincerman was my silly idea for a Spider-Man villain. And he also said uh, that they should draw a comic where you're the private, Danielle. And you would just be like, oh, I got to save the world again. <laughs> just be so mean to everyone all the time. That'd be great. <sighs> he said, Sledgehammer the Lightning War is maybe my favorite thing Arcudi has written in the Hellboy verse. I think that's because it's simple but effective. Good versus bad. A real conflict for the main character. Why bother when everybody dies? And his enemy is a dark reflection of himself. Also, cool action. Maybe too much action? Or that might just be me. I love the little character bits Redding and Diesel even get. It's like Superman, but interesting. I like Superman, but he's more interesting as a concept than as a character. It's an old theme. What do you do with ultimate power? Redding wants to do good, and Diesel just wants to kill and die. They have basically the same conflict. They could just go away, but don't want to. There's so much in this little story. It's awesome. And the funny thing is, I don't like World War II stories. For me, World War II is depressing. When I think of World War II, I don't think of heroic battles, but the horrific stuff that happened right around the corner. But with Sledgehammer, it's okay, because the story is basically an old fight between good and evil, mythological creatures, angels brought into the 20th century, and beating the shit out of each other. The bad guy doesn't even like Hitler. Hooray. Speaking of old Addy, that's what he calls him. (laughs) Oh, shit. It's so odd to see him dignified. Hitler was always a loser, but these scenes show him as a bad guy who seems kind of competent, impressive, like a real fictional Dark Lord and not the little wiener that he actually was. P.S. Also, Redding wears glasses. A hero with glasses. How novel is that? Normally, the hero loses those, but he keeps his. Okay, he's dead, and that's just him imagining having glasses, but it still counts. When I was younger, I always wanted to see a guy with glasses be the hero. And he gets killed. Oh, well, baby steps. Good stuff. And next week, the buff flame was up, nerds, and he flexes muscles. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, the buff that's flame. Letter. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. Well, don't forget, Harry Potter also had glasses to the whole series. Oh, yeah, I guess so. But yeah. Nah. Hey, don't be looking at that. That's some good stuff. It's not. It is. It is. It's so good. I think it's really there's bad. just been. I think Very it's good. just no. uh, good. <laughs> I don't. I just don't know if it's aged well with all the no, it has stuff that J.K. Rowling. I think the fans are so fucking intolerable that I just want to throw the whole goddamn thing away. Doesn't doesn't matter about the fans. It doesn't matter about that crap either. I don't want to know that I'm a Ravenclaw. I don't want to know this. Okay, let's go on. <laughs> when I posted the sketches of Mignola and Davis designing the Nazi bot. At Hayden Orr 36 said, I would buy a book of nothing but Mike's concept and design work for the Hellboy universe. His concept art in the back of the trades is always such a treat. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I love the, a lot of times when I buy a collected edition, the first thing I do is go all the way to the back and just look at that stuff. Do, do you do that, Matt? Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> it, especially with the library editions, because there's one with like 75 pages of sketches. Yeah. A lot of times, what I've noticed, too, with the new omnibuses that have uh, been coming out is that a lot of times 
they don't have everything that's in the library edition either. Yeah, they don't have right. anywhere near as close to what they have in the yeah. library editions. And Kennedy Garber on Facebook sent me a link of the Hellboy wrestler in Japan. Have you seen this? I, I didn't yeah. see the video, but I did hear about it. Uh, yeah, there's going to be somebody in a Hellboy costume wrestling in Japan. That's pretty cute. Yeah, it's really cool. So, yeah, I definitely want to check that out. I think the new movie just debuted there or something, right? Oh, really? Then that that must be what it's about. Well, okay. I, know, I know it just debuted in Japan. I think it was um, about to debut in Mexico. And that's what the wrestler, it's like it's going to coincide with the premiere. Okay. You look cool. Yeah. We also had some things that Matt forgot to talk about. Matt, you forgot to talk about some things. <laughs> oh, what did I forget? We I were going to talk again. about uh we were going to talk about that weird painting. Oh yeah. From so, the Lobster Johnson the Burning Hand. You want to talk about that a little bit cuz I didn't I actually had no idea what you were talking about. So I should have looked that up again. Well, that's what I'm hoping is by us bringing it up, maybe people will be able to chime in on that. Okay, so once upon a time, Dark Horse had their own message board and this was a while ago. And somebody um, pointed out that they kept seeing the exact same painting in all these different Hellboy Universe stories. And like a painting on the wall. Right. And and this time it was in Wald's mansion. Yeah, so it's and, a it's just a painting of people playing chess, right? Yeah, it's got that checkered floor. It's when he's getting stitched up. We're talking about Lobster Johnson, the Burning Hand. So it's above the fireplace. And it's a guy in red who's always playing chess with somebody. There's a checkered floor. And eh, maybe there's like a statue or something in the background. But I noticed that and remembered that that pops up a lot. Okay. Um, I'm surprised I've never and, noticed it. Well, it's most likely been in something that's been covered. I mean, yeah, we've done so many lot, episodes. So. Yeah, it has to have shown up already. So, yeah, I haven't noticed but, uh, that. If memory, if my memory's right, it's nothing. It's not an actual painting in the real world. Okay. So, huh. who knows? Maybe it's like a painting Scott Alley did in junior high or something. <laughs> I don't know, but it isn't that weird? It's just it like really a, is, and it, yeah, I wanted to make sure like to bring Easter, it up right? to make sure um, if anyone knows what any other references to that, I would I would love for them to give us a shout out. Yeah, or, or like where else it's appeared for sure. Yeah. And then on last week's episode, Matt, there was a there was a comment you were like, cut this out because I don't know if it's correct. And then I actually didn't cut it out because you were correct. You had talked about a movie, The Ninth Configuration from 1980 right. by Blatty, where mm -hmm. they used an old castle as a prison or an asylum, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you were yeah, like, cut this out, but I actually left it in because it was correct. So I just wanted to yeah. make sure to follow up on that. <laughs> and so... So that's, I think that was William Peter Blatty's directorial debut. He wrote The Exorcist, and he went on to direct the third Exorcist movie. See, here I go again. I could be totally wrong about that. <laughs> this is what it is, man. You get, you absorb so much of this stuff. It's nearly impossible to retain it all. Like every now and then, like, okay, I have a friend who remembers everything about pop culture all the comics he's read all the movies he's read and he will check you in real time <laughs> sounds and really and that yeah it can be annoying yeah and and i'll tell him i'll go that's annoying but he's <laughs> sounds very like antisocial <laughs> well but he's like a savant i mean oh okay right you know it's it's like he can't like help it he's got to point it out 
Well, I mean, what's the point of retaining it all if you're not going to right. point it out and correct people? This and, sounds really pedantic but, and not a good time. But it's like a need. Yeah, he needs. He's like, right. I can't let you be. Like, you know how sometimes on the office, Jim will taunt Dwight by saying, oh, yeah, Star Wars. That's the one where the Hobbit has the Right, and he gets upset. He sure. Vader and he's just over there losing his mind. Sure, sure. But he'll do it in, in the most, in, in the smallest details. See, and uh, I'm the exact anyway. opposite. I'm like, who was that guy that did that thing? Yeah. Was it Bruce Willis? And John oh, yeah. will be like, no, it, it wasn't. The vaguest amount of clues. The vaguest amount of clues. I'm like, what was that movie where there's a guy and he's driving in a car? And John's like, you're going to have to give me something more. You got to give me something else. Yeah, and I always, I always remember the character and not the actor. Sure. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm really bad at that. And then I think you had also wondered about the timeline with the Iron Prometheus and the Dead. And uh, just like Drew Campbell said earlier, the Dead came out in 04 to 05, and then Iron Prometheus was 07 to 08. So anyway, just tying up those things. All right, and so now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. This week we're discussing BPRD, Hell on Earth, The Reign of the Black Flame. This is a five-issue arc published from January to May 2014. When I saw the cover for this first issue here, I was so (laughs) fucking excited. You have no idea. It's your boy. Yes. Ted Howard's. Man, I feel like it's been like forever since we saw the Black Flame return. But then I think about how long you guys actually had to wait in the real world for yeah. it. Right. So, oh, yeah. But man, I'm so excited to get to the story. It's a fucking good cover. Speaking of the cover, so I guess that red dot behind the statue is like the sun or something. Okay. Mm-hmm. So keep an eye on that for each cover. Ah. I'm not sure if there's significance beyond like an artistic touch, but it's represented on each cover slightly different. Okay, yeah, I didn't notice that. Thank you for pointing that out. So I was thinking it was probably like the like a blood moon instead of the sun itself. Mm. And these covers that we're talking about, they're by Raphael Albuquerque. He comes back for covers on this series. It's written by Mignola and Arcudi. Art by James Heron. So we get some James Heron back. Nice. Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. I mean, the build-up to this was intense. Remember the whole previous BPRD arc that we did? All they were talking about was New York, New yeah. York, New York. Yeah. So everything's been leading right up to this. But then after I read this for this episode, I was like, oh, wow. They are right in the present. There is no like genuine forecasting about the next arc. Right. Oh, yeah, they that's really, true. They really want you to just be right here at ground level with these guys yeah you're so right thanks for pointing that out we open in east flatbush brooklyn the bprd team march through the streets and james heron gives us some great mood setting art here and so yeah his style is so recognizable at this point and just all the detail in the ravaged city is really amazing i like how liz is back to Lighting her cigarettes with her powers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Although she should quit. Didn't we have some insight to the fact that Heron had been working on this for a while? Oh, I don't know. Like, Did we talk about like, that? Didn't he have some sketches of the buff flame in the back of the Return of the Master? Oh, right, because he designed it for Tyler Crook. So, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, because the amount of detail he puts into this five-issue arc is intense. Yeah. It just makes me think he was, you know, got way ahead. Maybe not. Maybe he's just a badass. Yeah. (laughs) 
And here on the team, we see Devon, Liz, Phoenix, Chian, and Johan. Tian mentions that they haven't had a lot of resistance so far. Don't expect that luck to hold, Effie, Liz says to Phoenix. No way, she responds. And Johan says he feels so many lives lost. Phoenix says, you're thinking that everybody died all in a minute. But she's been getting visions that are telling her otherwise. People were hunted by monsters for weeks. Hospitals filling up and finally thousands leaving in boats. And so we see these horrific monsters. I don't even know how you would describe these guys. Uh, Disgusting. Yeah. (laughs) Your worst nightmare. Fucking gross. It's like some sort of mouth with teeth tentacles that have arms that have other mouths. Yeah, they have like two mouths because it looks like they have a head and then there's like... Am I looking at that right? Anyway. It could be more than one monster. It could be one monster. It's still horrible no matter right. which way it is. And then there's also this shot of all the boats with this all these monsters underneath the water. I really like that one too. Tian mentions all the hungry dogs. So I'm thinking those were probably pets that were abandoned or something. Most likely. I mean, in a huge tragedy like that, I mean, the pets might get scared and run run off and then, you know, the people died or... Let's yeah, be real, a lot left. of people are fucking assholes and leave their pets behind just right. when they're moving. So Yeah, there's there's that too. Johan says he had his doubts about Phoenix, but she's really improved her skills. Phoenix says, I still got my doubts about you, Ludwig. Wouldn't it be Ludwig? Ludwig, yeah. yeah is that supposed to be like a diss though? I think so, yeah. <laughs> Does she she's not a Beethoven fan or <laughs> <laughs> That's the only German reference that she can think of. Yeah, but it's like that's it's not, not an really, insult. It really isn't. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> All right, well, you well, maybe precious using... <laughs> genius who made some of the greatest music that ever existed. Well, maybe she's using it in the same way that people would be like, okay, thanks, Shakespeare. Yeah. Sure, right. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. That he's maybe talking over them or something. Yeah. It's not really. Okay, I can see that. That's good. She's also a teenager, so. Yeah. yeah. She probably thinks she's really witty. Sure. <laughs> uh, Devon says that he spots people, but he can't make out the details, though. Johan says they have to go to them, but Phoenix and Tian member remember Kate's orders. And then so we cut to this flashback scene with Kate. I really like this transition. And so we get to see Kate addressing the team. She tells them they need to have a sharp focus. They have limited members, no distractions. Ponyo will also be assisting from the base, amplifying Phoenix's second sight. Assuming their theta waves can penetrate the Manhattan wall. It makes it seem like they've done some tests i guess or they've like been working god i hope so (laughs) yeah the other team yosef's team will have Droko, howards gervish nichols and enos and they'll be coming in through new jersey they'll have an apc and a tank or two which may seem unfair but they'll be on foot and they won't have phoenix and i like that little scene where like liz is kind of like looking over at her like i don't know it just seems like they've bonded a little bit yeah i was gonna say that like uh phoenix's whole body language in this um aaron briefing she's like kind of like excited to be there and ready to go and fight the good fight yeah. of course she's <laughs> has seen some stuff because you know she showed up like all beat up at the last issue but right. uh, the last time man i don't think she really knows what she's about to get into right also another example of artists knowing how to draw women and girls yeah and the difference between them point. liz yeah. is an adult woman and phoenix is clearly a teenager and they're both wearing actual clothing which yeah. is nice I like the way he draws Kate, too. Yeah, yeah. She definitely 
seems like she's the Kate that we know and love, but yet still in his style, which yeah. I which I adore. And she just she very much looks like the harried. <laughs> okay, we gotta. Uh, we gotta, this is the mission. Oh my god, she's got so much responsibility yeah. weighing on her. Yeah, but also going back to Aubrey's, uh, what you were saying, Aubrey, at the end of that last one, Phoenix was like, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to stop being a baby. And right, so right. I think here we're kind of maybe seeing some of that come through. Two teams, two chances to succeed, but they need to focus. It's a fact-finding mission. Assess the threat and, if possible, reduce it. Cruel as it sounds, this is not a rescue mission, Kate says. Any survivors will have to wait until your withdrawal for possible retrieval. Back with the team... Johan argues that you can't make that decision until you're in the field. And when is it that you start observing the rules, he asks Phoenix. I like that little dig there. Whatever, I don't get in the past. I got my head on straight now, okay? She says, maybe you would too if you had a fucking head. (laughs) I love that. Oh, yeah. That was just like typical teenager type of stuff to say. Yeah, and Liz comes in immediately. She's like, that's not helping. And she says that they should take a vote. Well, she's she's trying to do what Kate says, which I think is interesting. Yeah. she's trying to, she's really trying to do a good job at this right. mission and stay within the mission parameters and do what yeah. Kate says and all this stuff. And so Liz is like, "Nah, I'm not gonna do that." <laughs> Classic Liz. Yeah, it's great. Over in New Jersey, I love the way he draws her. I'm sorry, I keep interrupting. No, no, no you're great. No, I do love that. Yeah, he does, he, he's got a really good take on the character. And of course, I mean, of course, always got to mention the the coloring. Is excellent. Oh, yeah. We're definitely going to be talking about the coloring later. Over in New Jersey, we see the remains of one of those horrible monsters that we saw earlier. And we see Yosef's team. Yosef tells Jiroko that this is where it gets interesting. Carla says if that means because no one's died yet, she'll take boring. And Yosef says he would like to be bored as well on the Volga with his wife and some children. And just then a monster bursts out of this overturned van and Yosef and Carla just blast it down. The action here is just really awesome. It, this shot here kind of reminds me of when they were fighting the Were Jaguar in um, The Long Death. Yeah, once again, he just puts everything in motion. Yeah. You know, even the flares from the bullet. Right. Oh, uh, just wanted to ask. So when you see this monster when you at the very beginning of the whole part of their story, doesn't it look like... So see how the smoke is coming out of the tank and the smoke is coming off the monster? Don't you think they kind of blasted the monster themselves? Oh, yeah, yeah. You see the uh, aftermath of it? Right, right. Yeah, because then when we focus in, we see those tanks again with the smoke. So that's them. But she is long dead, Yosef finishes, and there are no children. Where have I ever had a choice in anything? They reach this impassable wall of debris. Yosef says they may have to go on foot. And Jiroko doesn't want to do that. She doesn't want to leave the tanks in the APC, but Yosef says it was always a possibility. And after all, what good is a tank against that? We see this crazy-looking Ogdruham with, like, all the teeth and everything. That's just such an interesting design. It's it a looks fucking cool design. Yeah, it's very different from what we've seen, I, I think. I love it. It's almost got a, um, like, a crab crustacean kind of look to it. It's great. It's like something yeah. out of a heavy metal... Yeah, isn't there like a, in the Hellraiser movies, isn't there like a Cenobite that's just got like the big teeth? Yeah, I think his name was like Chompers or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Sounds like a dog's name or something. Well, they they didn't have names in the actual movie. They just kind of assigned them all names. Well, not just not the fans. Like the they they referred to them in like like production notes and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Like Pinhead's never called Pinhead. Oh, what is he called then? Nothing. Huh. Well, at least not in the early movies. I never saw Baptor Part 3, so... But yeah, this design fucking rules. It really does. It's fucking creepy as hell. Yosef calls for Sergeant Leonid, 
and together they push this giant wall of wreckage. So yeah, on their team, they've got this big tall guy. And so here we see that he's got like some kind of supernatural strength or something. Him and Yosef are able to push all this wreckage aside. He reminds me of the body that Johan inhabited that's now been used for the Black Flame. Oh yeah, you're right. They, I don't think they ever come out and say that, but... Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm, I'm really interested in trying to focus on this character uh, on this read-through. We cut over to the team entering Prospect Park. This is an actual park in Brooklyn, New York. It opened in 1867, and it is a New York City historic landmark. A freaking vote, Phoenix says. What bull? You knew how it was going to go. So I guess they all decided to vote to go check it out right yeah phoenix says that this place makes her feel bad it ain't real clear on my radar she says that's how panya trained her tian also notices that the dogs have stopped trailing them any sign of them johan devon asks johan up ahead stops in his tracks oh come on don't tell me i'm wrong again devon says and they look up and so they see what's what are all these people in the park right corpses yeah well it's a suicide suicide park, yeah. Yeah. They all came to like the most beautiful place they knew of for their last moments, which is such a poignant scenario here. And we get just um two page wordless pages of just the team going through this and just we see their reactions to seeing it. It's a very emotional moment in this yeah. book, yeah. We should probably put a little content warning at the beginning of this. Sure, we can put a content warning. Yeah, but I thought it was uh in the middle of this big action thing, we've been yeah. revering up for all of this. And then there's just this very human moment. They really kind of slow it down for us to take all this in. Yeah. Well, it's also kind of an, like an interesting storytelling device because we're about to get into all this action stuff. But and in every kind of movie or show, we never actually see the actual cause or the toll or the cost of what we, what we witness and stuff like that. And so this is right. kind of... You know, this is just one aspect of what could happen in an extremely horrific yeah. situation. Yeah, it makes you think, like, what would yeah. you do in that situation? Exactly. Yeah. When it really showcases James Heron's ability to do it all, right? He gives us disgusting monsters, all the action you could hope for, all the detail. And then as soon as you hit that one panel on this first page of the two silent pages, you get it, right? Yeah. Instant yeah. mood change. Like, yeah. he just... He's just so capable as an artist. And it makes you think that what's going through the heads of the of, of this team here is they're like, oh, we really failed these people. Like, we really failed right. bad. The, the amount of despair that someone has to feel to be like, this is it. And I, and I, I feel like uh, that kind of ups the stakes a little bit for them to, to say, okay, we really have to put an end to this. We, we can't put this off any longer. And maybe it brings uh, Phoenix around. To like, yeah, you can't always stick within the mission parameters. Some things are just really important. Right. You have to, you have to try. Like, like y'all are saying, you know, the art is incredible, and I, um, I really appreciate the lengths that both James Heron and Dave Stewart went through just to make it the most beautiful. It's a park you want to go to, mm-hmm. and it maybe is your favorite park, and maybe it's where you had your first dates or where you got married or where you spent so much time with your friends, and maybe that's why these people chose that spot. And you know, so it's such a 
it is really poignant and i love that it's there's no dialogue as well like you had pointed out john yeah and johan he just like goes down onto his knees too because think about him because he can kind of sense like um you know he can maybe feel some of that residual whatever so like for him you know probably very intensely yeah tian says this wasn't a one-time thing it went on for months they just had no hope did they all the time they tried to wait we never came but out here why did they come out here they didn't want to be alone johan responds and so he finally gets up and they move on yeah they really create a lot of weight for those pages over with yosef's team they travel in the dark in an underpass and there's again there's so much intricate work on this page it's mind-boggling yosef says he imagines it's uncomfortable for the team but they're making progress you imagine that's just great joker responds and so Gervish makes a friends reference here, comparing them to Ross and Rachel. And they get on top of the traffic to dry off. See, I would have probably taken it back to Sam and Diane. They're always oh, yeah. arguing. <laughs> <laughs> I like how, uh, how Nichols doesn't get the reference, though. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just like they didn't get his reference on the other. Right. I love that. Oh, how that's classic great. <laughs> is that? He's like, was it Ross and Rachel? Is that from the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> Is there an even My grandmother more... never talked about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> is there is there an is there a more modern reference for this archetype that we have? Not right now, that's right what now. I can think of. Right. No, I mean, I, I don't watch a lot of sitcoms yeah, these yeah, sure, days. Right. And apparently all the kids now are watching the sitcoms from the nineties. I never even saw Friends and I know the names of these fucking right, characters. Yeah. yeah, neither did I. So And so suddenly as they're in all this debris. This big crab monster, Ogdrahem, comes out, and it's really fantastic work by Heron. I love the design of this guy. And so he's like a crab thing, and he's using one of these trailers, right, as the as his like crab it's house. It's like a hermit crab, yeah. yeah. yeah that's but what the, bus is, the bus is his little... <laughs> it, it's an Andrew hermit crab. It's good. It's good. <laughs> yeah, so th- this is just really amazing action as this thing comes out. They're all shooting at it. We get a good look at its face, too. It kind of reminded me of that Marahem that we saw in Abyss of Time. And so right as one of the claws is going to come down on Jiroko, Leonid jumps in and he pushes her out of the way. And he gets crunched by the crab claw instead. They call Enos up front with a grenade launcher and call for a ceasefire. And so Enos is able to blast this thing. Again, uh, just amazing action as the monster falls. Yosef calls himself stupid and says he was careless. He thanks the team and mentions their lack of casualties. What do you mean, lack of casualties? What about Leonid, Jiroko asks. Sergeant, are you alright? Yosef asks. Da, Leonid appears behind Jiroko and he looks all beat up. But didn't he just get crunched by that monster? Uh, yeah, he obviously did. I mean, yeah. his face looks all smashed in. So again, he's. we've already seen that he has superhuman strength and then now... He's definitely a Frankenstein. Yeah, or something, right? Mm-hmm. The team talk about this a little, too, as they head towards the light up ahead. Nichols says, not to forget, they have their own Superman. And this panel with Howard's on the bottom is just, yeah. oh, I just love that. It is so killer. Great. So this this panel like with Howard's with the uh, sword over his so back good. reminds me of uh, Wolverine and the Dark Phoenix saga with John Byrne. And he gets dropped into the sewer and he's got that over his head shot. And he's like, now it's my oh, tongue, bub. Oh, yeah, you're right. right. That's really cool. Remember when they did that same thing with Kitty? I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Very effective. Legacy. <clears throat> John Cassidy. Marker, yeah. Yeah. So in the individual issues... There's always like a little banner picture in the back of the issue, and it's usually like a picture from the comic. And I want to say they use this picture, didn't they, Matt, on the back of the issue? 
as a little banner image? Uh, yeah, you might be right. Uh, they also may have used it on the inside front cover. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. But, but I love I mean, that panel. I, yeah, they they would be smart to get mileage. Yes. Like that. <laughs> I mean, that's the word. It's just that's everything. Yeah, the team has made it to the Williamsburg Bridge. This bridge is in New York. It goes across the East River, connecting Brooklyn to Manhattan. And the bridge is totally gone in the middle. Devon says, no wonder the people couldn't leave. If anyone's still alive. They're alive, both Phoenix and Johan say in unison. I really like that moment. And then so Phoenix almost, she like looks at him too. Like, what the fuck? But I like how they both say that. They can both sense that. Liz says they can walk across the suspension cable. And so we cut to them doing that. Just a really cool shot with um, them silhouetted and, you know, the amazing work that Dave Stewart and James Herron are doing with the night sky back here. Okay, honestly, you know, fighting the monsters and all that, I'm like, okay, okay, that's fine. Climbing up this cable, I'm like, that's a whole lot of nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, if this were like a shot in a scene in a movie, that would give me vertigo. Oh, yeah. That actually creates more tension for me than a lot of this stuff has. Yeah, yeah. As they go across, Liz and Tian talk. He says that it's sinking in. They're massively screwed. And Liz says that he's seen worse and mentions that he was in Nebraska. So that was the Black Flame, right? So Tian was there during all that. He says this is worse because they're going in blind. Nobody has come out of the city in a year. And over on the next page, Campbell does an amazing job showing exactly how dark it is. I love how they have that one panel to just show how, you know... um, yeah. Uh, about a year ago, we traveled to Big Ben. Incredible. Uh, National Park to see the Milky Way because it's in a Houston, registered dark sky park. It's actually the darkest park in like in this whole country. I think. I think it's in the darkest sky in this hemisphere. Really? And uh, really? I believe it. I believe it. We went all the way out there to just see the sky that's dark because we live in Houston that you can't see no, anything. Yeah. And so... The fact that this is New York and you can see the sky like this. The most profound, the most profound experience probably of my life. And it's, you know, seeing this panel, that's exactly, uh, it brought back memories of exactly that for me as well. So I, uh, I'm glad that you brought that up because yeah, it was was absolutely life altering. So I can't imagine coming across like downtown Houston, having it be just a blank fucking void and then looking up and seeing the galaxy in the sky. That would be. Both apocalyptic and wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. Very beautiful and incredible. He says the sky is brighter than the city. Can you see the Milky Way out there? Can you see anything where you are at, Matt? Uh, I don't know about the Milky Way, but yeah, I mean, up in the mountains, you really get some nice views, but I've never looked into it that way. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's actually one of the things I miss about when I grew where I grew up is I mean I never really saw the Milky Way, but like there were places that were just so dark because there were just no artificial lights around you. You could just see so many stars and it was everywhere out there. And then I move here and it's just like, Hey, I'm glad to be here, but where are the stars? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one time my neighbor identified lights in the sky that anyone would have been like, Those are stars and he knew they didn't belong. So you can see Kind of like you know the night sky every night. Kind of like uh, satellites or um, airplanes and stuff like that. They ended up being weather balloons carrying tennis court sized solar panels for better broadband. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I had to I, I had to break it to them. I was like, oh, I know what they are. Uh, I, I looked 
I looked it up and a local paper up north had just reported all these phone calls coming in. Mm. And they were like, that's what it was. And now we're probably going to get those same phone calls in Longmont because they've moved there. Oh, uh, so, okay. Yeah, it was like a startup company. And, and uh, my neighbor's like, hey, those lights are gone. And I was like, well, it's a startup company. They didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> Tian says it's a black hole sucking them in, and Liz notices a light on in a house. There's somebody waiting for us, she says. And I just really like this mood setting here. I also have talked about this before, but Arcudi does just these really great character moments. And so ever since Liz has come back, her and Tian have been like a, a little pair. I would to say those little lights in the, in the house or the building, because it's not a house, it's a building. <laughs> you know, that's probably a little bit creepier. It just adds to the creepiness right, of the whole yeah. thing. Johan says they'll rest until the sun comes up in five hours. He'll keep watch. And then so we cut to Tion and he's waking up late. For Christ's sake, Johan, it's almost seven. He comes out of the tent and he finds himself held at gunpoint by these armed men with machetes and hyenas. Hey, uh, there's that Zinko poster. I was going to say the same thing. Oh, yeah. The Zinko poster in the background. A better nice. world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not so much this time. <laughs> this is this is really interesting because they they're really taking into account all the what if scenarios of a situation like this, and oh. it's it's fascinating to me. Like, oh, I didn't think of that. Maybe, yeah, there probably would be factions of fascist people who would take other people prisoner as slaves and force them to do manual i mean that goes on right now it's not even the apocalypse so it's like of course this would just be more pronounced when you know in situations like this so this is definitely something to think about this is you know yeah this you're talking about the opening to chapter two yeah we see all these workers in a field and a zinco guard is watching over them and so one of them discovers a sugar pea pod that didn't grow, and he pockets it, right? And so right when he pockets it, there's this older woman, and she's like, what the fuck? So she runs over to the guard. Now, what in the fuck is her goddamn problem? She has to immediately yeah. go run and snitch? What is that shit? It's the whole, um, she's probably thinking she'll get some favor out of it. She got this man shot. This is fucked up. Yeah, so then yeah. the guy ends up getting shot for it, and the guard comes over. Let me say, let me, let me say it snitches get stitches yeah. is what happens. <laughs> You don't fucking snitch, especially in situations like this. This is ridiculous. And so the woman screams out and the guard says, shut up and get it. And so she grabs that pocketed pea pod. Show it to everyone, the guard says. Being hungry don't make you special, okay? We all are. But when you steal seeds from the garden, you're stealing from the rest of us. And then I got no choice, do I? You think about that. You take a close look. Is this what you want to die for? And we just zoom in on that dead pea pot and everyone's watching it. And that, so this guy literally just got killed over this thing. And so, yeah, that's a very one of the scariest things yeah. about this whole arc is that scene right yeah, there. Absolutely. This yeah, scenario is, is definitely super real and would 100 percent happen and is probably definitely happening in places where there isn't a scary weird apocalypse going on. So, yeah, this is this is very I like that they included this when they. They said it. It's it's bright and colorful. It's daytime. Look, the right. sky looks beautiful. They, this is the real world. Yeah, you know, like like when I love in the movies when superheroes fight in broad daylight. Right, and you're like, oh, cool, yeah, because they're always out at night when nobody saw them, but here they are in broad daylight. Everyone sees everything, right? Yeah, it just so, makes it yeah. feel a lot more drastic to me. Absolutely, yeah. The the contrast between oh, what a beautiful day and Oh, wow. 
ultimate fascism. <laughs> so we actually don't see this 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 again, do we? In the rest of the story, they, they reference it again, but yeah, we don't exactly see this. Yeah, that's just like really that's that's kind of like really messed up because it's just like they didn't have to show us this, but they mm-hmm. showed us this just to let us know that it's going on. This is literally right. hell. <laughs> yeah, and it's a it's a good cold open too. Yeah. Yeah, I would say anybody, if if anyone failed the people of New York, it's Zinko. Number one, where were they when all that was going down in Prospect Park? And right. now, now they're using him as slave labor. I wouldn't say they know? failed because their goals were always fascism. So well, to them, just, they're incredibly and, successful doing right, what it is in, that they set out to do. To us, to, to the rest of the world, they failed them. But by coming in and saying, oh, we're here to provide for you. But under this sort of like authoritarian or fascist rule, right? And then Liz was saying, or Tian was saying just at the end of the last issue that they were waiting for us or whatever. Right. Right. But I mean, that was their goal from the jump. They were always a Nazi organization. And so we cut over to Howard's. Let's talk about this page of Howard's just happening. Yes. (laughs) It's you, boy. Fuck yes. Just, he is. Okay. So imagine you were going to get in a fight with somebody. Is the very first thing you would do. Jump as high as possible. <laughs> That's the most unrealistic thing. But when he does it, you're like, yes. Yeah. Right. It's good. Like it's death from above with this guy every single time. But that's the last thing you would do in real life is leap into the air. I don't know. Right? He's going for the head. Yeah. You know, maybe he can't hack yeah, it. Yeah, they're feet. monsters and everything. Yeah. But but he, make a note of that because he's always like jumping and screaming. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> it's good. Yosef tells Leona to cover him. He fears Howard's is going to get himself killed. Yosef tells Jiroko that they have no casualties because of her training. And he also says she has remarkable rapport with her men. Sweet talk me all you want, Yosef, she says. There's no way you're getting me to go back through that tunnel. And look at Howard's facing off with uh, the Russian. And you can see in the background, he doesn't change his pose until they start to walk away. Oh, you're right. I do love that. He's like. He's like, what's up now, big guy? (laughs) (laughs) From the window of an abandoned building, we see former Project Ragnarok goon Kurtz spying on the team and reporting into Marsden. Kurtz says he'll mount a team, but Marsden says to put Houth in charge instead and just hangs up on him. And so we reveal that Marsden has these two monster goons, right? I thought this reveal was really interesting. It, uh, I like how this one monster has like a Zinko outfit too. He's even got his little like vest and. Oh everything. yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is bizarre. Yeah, yeah I just... look at the champagne on ice. He's got like a whole chicken. Oh yeah, you're right. It's a bunker or what? This is at the top of the, the Zinko top tower, of the thing. right? Okay. Yeah. He has like a teddy bear on the bed. It, it's like he's trying to hold on to some sort of loftiness. Right. He's like, still living he wants it up. Luxury. Up there. Yeah. And, yeah. It's so super fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a little too comfortable with the way things are at the moment. But there's something comical about these two monsters that are just chilling in there. They're his bodyguards. and They're just like one yeah. sitting on the ground and the other one yeah. with his outfit. Anyway, Kurtz is pissed that Marsden hung up on him. But he's his new master now and he has to adapt. And so he's like thinking about that, all that as he it's walks fucking off. Fucking wiener. But it kind of sets the stage for what happens later. Over with Johan's team being held at gunpoint, Tion has a gun to his head, and he sees Phoenix coming out of her tent, and he comments, What the hell? You're supposed to sense danger coming. 
And I love this panel. She just yawns and she's like, these loads, they ain't dangerous. Not a single bullet among them. And so there's a beat where the guy's like, oh, damn, girl. How'd you know that? (laughs) (laughs) It's good. The expressions on their faces too. Tion's face when he looks yeah. back at him and then his reaction is just really all yeah. this is well done. These bottom three panels have so much personality. Absolutely. Well, yeah, this this page is it was a breath of fresh air yeah. for me because there's so much tension in this fucking story. <laughs> yeah. And to finally be able to calm down and have a moment of, of levity is, is real nice because when it's very tense and he's like, oh shit, she's walking out of the tent and it's like, oh, she's going to get but then she's like, so she's like, ooh, just yawning and stretching and <laughs> This guy, like you said, the expression on this guy's face when he smiles is just great. So, yeah. And then, of course, the just the comedy of how mad this guy is. And yeah. Then, and then they, they punch for a bit and then they're mates. You yes, know? So exactly. They're, they're in their friends and they team up. And yeah, so it was definitely a much needed breath of fresh air in this in this story. Something good happening. Yeah, it is nice that they hooked up with the, uh, I guess, it would be like the rebel faction in the ta- in the. Um, well, they prefer to be called the resistance. Yes, okay. they do call themselves that. <laughs> no, just, no, but it's it's nice that there's um, yeah. there's still so, like especially coming from that park earlier. You yeah, know, there's they have the chance to fucking at least save and help somebody. Yeah, it, it's like a one like bright spot for yeah. this dark hellhole. Well, of course, what Johan says when he comes back is hilarious. Right. So as they kind of realize what's going on. Those guys thought that the BPRD were, were with the Black Flame, but now they're realizing that they're actually ca- the cavalry. And he's like, we're the good guys, too. And then out of nowhere, Johan appears. Ah, where did they come from? <laughs> he wasn't even... <laughs> Damn it, Johan. You're not a really good watchman. You let that kid get away in that one story. <laughs> he's so behind. And then, like, all of these yeah. guys just show up. <laughs> he's like, what's going on here? Oh, that's too funny. Let's just not put Johan on watch anymore. Can we all Aww. agree? <laughs> I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. He can do other things. He just can't seem to watch the camera. Yeah. We cut over to Evelyn, Marsden's assistant, and she's burning all the Nazi stuff from Pope's office. So that's one good thing it's here. It's a great right? sight to see. <laughs> a Nazi yeah, flag burning. I mean, she's, she's doing it for the wrong. She's not doing it for the, you know, the right reasons, but it's still burning, and it's still excellent to see the Nazi flag on fire. I like that they tie up that loose end that we didn't even really realize yeah. was a loose end, right? I mean, yeah. I just assumed that stuff was gone, but yeah, I think that's funny. Well, and it has to, and there is a plot point that is going to move forward here. Yeah. So at the at the bottom of the panel, we see Cronin. Oh, so uh, no, I do want to point this out because she's like, uh, she's like, we have to separate the ties of the new order with the murderous racism, and Cronin says. There was some things he liked about murderous racism. <laughs> Jackass. Oh, and she's like, what, the parades? The smell of leather? No, not the leather, he says. And we see behind him is the head of that yeah. fucking Von Klempt guy. Yeah, I didn't I didn't notice that through my first read-through. But now that I see it, I'm like, okay, that explains something in the end. But god damn it. We saw it in Pope's <laughs> office. So, yeah. Um, it's, it's a well-framed panel. I really it like really that. is, yeah. But I like how she's just like, oh, you're overreacting. This is the neo-Nazis. We don't need all this. <laughs> it's just so fucking bone-chilling how matter-of-fact she is because there are people like this and they're a real problem sure, right now. Yeah. And it's, yeah, so it's very uh, it's very timely that we're reading this, I think, right now. 
Is this dude carrying a winged jetpack thing? <laughs> a what? Where is it? Oh, it is. It does look like a jetpack Oh, yeah. Thing. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe it's like a model, though. It might be a model because there's a blimp here. It looks like something. Um, oh, you're probably right. It probably is a model, but it, it reminds me of this old Cobra jetpack glider thing that oh, they sure. had. I wonder if it's a the, reference to that. In, the, in the old cartoon. Yeah, maybe he put that in there. That'd be pretty cool. Cobra is kind of like a fascist. Yeah, absolutely. They are yeah. so Not even kind of. They are. <laughs> <laughs> we cut back over to Johan's team. The armed guy. Uh, I, God, they say what his name is later. I can't remember it right now. Do you remember what his name is? The, oh, this guy. No, I don't know. They, they say his name later. Anyway, we cut back over to Johan's team. This local guy um, that's that was armed, but he wasn't really armed. He says they probably won't get the radio working. Zinko has their own frequencies, and all the others don't work. He explains that Zinko was there when things started going down with food, medicine, and other supplies. They killed those that didn't trust them and created the Zinko administration that rules over New York. And so here's where they kind of talk about how um, they've got people living in dorms and working in gardens, using them as slaves. And this is where he tells them that their group is the resistance. Yeah, I like how he describes how they just showed up and were like, hey, we got food, we got medicine. They we can right. mow them down. Yeah, and then like, um, you know, because I mean, that's kind of how it would. People would trade yeah, in their freedom for oh, yeah. for stability. It's right. sad. Yeah. These local guys, the resistance, they say they've only seen the black flame once. He was nine feet tall and everything around him burned like paper. And this uh, awesome illustration yeah, of the so black flame good. is really cool. Yeah. And it really, it puts you in that frame of mind uh, one step closer to what you're going towards in the story right yeah of like what to expect it's just it's kind of vague now because it's this big looming ominous background figure and so you know the closer we get to the actual thing the weirder it's getting and it's yeah. just kind of it's a little preview of the horror that you're you can expect it's just yeah i love that yeah, yeah. people uh, like to say that illustration isn't high art or fine art but i disagree with that so much yeah oh like, i really hate that. it's so yeah. fu- it gets on my fucking nerves yeah, and if, if there's any truth to that, then there's no such thing as higher art. Yeah. <laughs> Just fuck off. I can't stand that. One time, one time somebody said right to my face, would you ever like talking about my comic book art? And he goes, would you ever try out like a higher art? Jeez, and I was like, fuck. I was like, and you know what? I, I made said this that to pun, my face. <laughs> I made this pun earlier today in an Instagram post, but I was like, all my art's a higher art. If you think about it. <laughs> Well, I've, I'm 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 recently coming to grips with the fact that my art is illustration, right? I'm not a fine artist. I'm not a high artist, right? But I it's don't know. like, Quote but I, but I, I, I don't know. This is this is the art that I fucking make. I don't know what to say about right. it. Sure, you know what I mean. I don't know. So it's just one of those things where I've been thinking about that a lot lately. This is incredible. Yeah, this is fucking great, and so, but it would never be considered whatever fine art. So, but I mean, yeah, no, I I have to agree with everything you guys just said because it it just pisses me off when <laughs> people ridiculous. try to you know call this low art or this is high it's just art. illustration. You know, it's just it's just art. Yeah, like what you like. The this guy he also tells Phoenix that he knows where the black flame is, but that won't help her much. And Liz tries to communicate with Yosef's team on the walkie. And so we cut over to them. Jiroko comes over and she's telling Yosef that they have a signal. And we learn about their code names. Liz's code name is Scarlet. But Yosef thinks all those are silly, right? Yeah. 
I can't explain it, um, but I really, really like this panel with Liz in it. I don't know what it is about that specific depiction of Liz. Yeah. It's real good. Well, is, but is it high art, though? I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> so the teams catch up over the walkie, and as they talk, Joroko sees this red target spot on Leonid's back. And so she shoves him out of the way. Incoming, everybody down, she yells. And so they're being fired from both sides. Joroko calls on Gervish, who shoots the bazooka towards the enemy fire. And Joroko and Gervish try to coordinate a plan of attack, but Howard just runs past the gunfire, just yelling, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and you know what else? Yosef is loving this. He's he's smiling there. The adventure (laughs) of his lifetime, right? He's so enthusiastic. Like, when she goes, okay, now they know we have a rocket launcher, we're, we're pinned down. He goes, all right. You know, it's kind of a waiting game, isn't it? And he's, yeah. <laughs> he's like, this is fun. It's like choose your own adventure for him. Like they're just playing D&D or something. Right, right. Uh, but I just love this panel as Howard's crashes through just his positioning. It just really gives that a lot of motion as he comes through that window. I love how she yells behind him. Oh, yeah. She's oh, yeah. like, Howard, stop. And she's just like, damn it. All right, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Try not to shoot Howard. Not to blow. Yeah, don't blow his head off. <laughs> and what can you say here? I mean, Agent fucking Howard's, right? This is it right yep. here. This action scene is everything. I like the uh, bullets bouncing off the sword. He's all like fucking coming in there, Jedi Knight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. Bouncing that shit off. <laughs> he jumps into the air. I love it. Oh, yeah. He, he gives Such that... a crazy fighter <laughs> he's like a berserker he yeah. is i was just about to say that. I took the words out of my mouth perfect look at all those heads he lops off too it's just <laughs> <I know. nuts. laughs> it's it's so i don't know it's just so brutal and like the way the blood hits the ceiling like that right <laughs> gross it's insane Joroko and the team are able to help out some and then they check the aftermath because they're concerned that they hit howard's yeah. <laughs> and so Nichols, he follows this trail of blood and he, he follows it and he finds Howard's. He's holding Kurtz at sword point. And so, like, the positioning is really great because the, you know, he's got that double tip sword and one of the tips is just like right up against Kurtz's head. And Howard's is just totally soaked in blood, too. It's just incredible. I really love this. Yeah. So, what does Howard's smell like at this point? <laughs> he's been. He's been covered with blood and monster guts for a while now, mm-hmm. right? Right. A- at least a whole day. Right, yeah. <laughs> gross. But he's in a bathroom. He can wash up now. Yeah, there you go. I just love what the guy's like, please don't let him kill me. Yeah, he's like, I can tell you things. He's so weak, weakling. It, did he pee his pants? I mean, he's sitting oh, in a puddle. I'm so glad you pointed that out. There's a little puddle right yeah. there. So, yeah, I want to say that, yes, definitely he did. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> I'm good with that. <laughs> Off the coast Nazis of- pee their pants. Yeah. Pass it on. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Hashtag Nazis pee their pants. <laughs> Off the coast of Connecticut, we see an aircraft carrier. So, I mean, the BPRD, they have all the resources they need here. I mean, I guess not everything they need, but they have pretty much everything they could ask Where for. Where are I they guess. getting fuel for that thing? Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> hey, uh, the military. They've, you they know. probably have all that shit stockpiled. Plus, a lot of these vehicles are uh, nuclear powered. Look at this puppo. Yeah, Panya's trying to connect with Phoenix, and I guess she's using Bruiser to try and help. Well, she just she said that she would uh, she would watch over her puppy dog. 
Right. So she I don't made know a if she is or not, but yeah. But that's not what she says. She says, I made a promise to that ragamuffin to watch her cur. <laughs> right. Look at her. She's got her uh, her Bebo back here. What's yeah, that? Her... What, what did we name that guy? Kevin? The... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Bruiser tried to kill him, right? Yeah. No. Uh, yes. Yes, he did. Yeah, it was Bruiser. Yeah, but. Um, Bing bong. You named him Marbles. Marbles. <laughs> <laughs> oh right, Kevin. <laughs> well, Kevin can be his like first or middle name. And yeah, there you go. and I like I like marbles. marbles. Look at look at marbles back here. He's having a good old time hanging out. It looks like they've they've got a truce going. They're they're they they seem pretty chill. I mean, Bruiser, right. Bruiser looks like he's he's well, not extremely chill, but well, least, they do have a muzzle on him. Yeah, at least he's not going after so they marbles. Have, they anymore. have thought about it, I guess. But I always do like to see. Marbles. I think I think Bru- Bruiser is thinking about it right now. Right. He's all like, "I'm gonna get that damn thing." <laughs> no, Boo. Of course it's Boo, but I mean, I'm... <laughs> Kate says she hasn't been able to reach Phoenix since last night, and she also isn't receiving from Phoenix either. I like to think Panya's got to, I guess, kind of boost her brain oh, activities. Yeah. She's got like a headpiece there. Panya says she's getting something. It just doesn't make sense. I thought she was wearing a shower cap. Oh, I don't yeah. know why. It's one of those things they put on when they're doing brain tests at the hospital. Oh, they have okay. one of those caps. So I don't know if they're monitoring her or if it's just like for her benefit somehow. Or I don't know. Uh, I feel like an idiot for thinking that. No, no. no I mean, <laughs> you know, you never know what mummy fashion is going to be. Yeah. She's maybe saw that in someone's drawer and was like, let me, let me try that out. Let me see that. <laughs> Back over with Johan's team. Phoenix looks at, at a skeleton of a horse. And so this horse was also featured on the cover, which I thought was kind of interesting that they would use that imagery. And she learns that it was probably eaten by people, right? Is that what they're talking about? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and then the guy's like, it's not pretty, but what are you going to do? Right. People got to right, eat. Right. I mean, that's. Yeah. It was eaten by people probably, but then by the time animals got around to it, it was gone, but they went at it anyway. Right. Ugh. He asked how they were able to steer clear of the hammerheads, crickets, and freaks. I have help, Phoenix says. And so we see the, her ghost sister there. Heron does a really nice, creepy job of that. And so nobody else can see that, right? Right. Bruiser may have seen it. Right. I know Bruiser definitely probably senses it for sure. Right. But this is this is how I, why I always referred to Phoenix's scenes as having missing panels. Right, yeah. There we got to see one of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Over with Johan and Tien, they're worried that they can't get a signal on the walkie, and they don't like being separated from Liz. And so we also see that Liz is investigating the building with that head guy from the Resistance. This is where they say the Black Flame is, and so they find all these uh, walls of boxes of canned food. The guy says, this is Flame's spot. No one goes there. Liz says it's good that they know where it is. It makes it easier to take him out. The guy says that the Black Flame runs the city. Not like he's mayor. Everything you see out there, all of it, that's his. It does what he says. He's God here. And you can't kill no God. Maybe you can't, Liz says. And she like lights up her hand with fire. That's really cool. And so here we see the Black Flame. He's overseeing the city and he's standing on top of the Chrysler building. That's what that little eagle head thing is there. When I, I saw that, I was like, oh, he's doing his best Batman impression. Sure, Batman's yeah. always standing on that same type of gargoyle eagle head. Right. 
And so the Chrysler building is the eighth tallest building in the world. We get another great cover by Raphael Albuquerque. And yeah, so you were mentioning that either Blood Moon or Sun or whatever, right, Matt? So the first time it was more predominant, and now it's similar to the previous issue. Right. But there's no longer, like, I don't know if it's a moon or a sun now, because I don't think that's the sky, right? Mm. And and this is just me connecting things for no reason, but it's a lot like that uh, dot that was on the back of... um, I was thinking that same thing. Oh, okay, on Leonid. Yeah. Uh, what what do you call those? Laser points. There's a, yeah, yeah. yeah the, but like from a rifle, is this still called that? I guess so. Yeah. Sure, why not? I'm glad I don't know. But uh, <laughs> but so then when I saw it here, it reminded me of that. But you know, I think it's really just like an artistic touch, and it morphs more on the next two issues. Nice. We open on a firefight in front of the Zinko building. Jiroko and her team are firing at the Zinko troops, and they're like in this shelter that they've built or whatever. Jiroko says they've been preparing for months for this. And so I really like this. Howard's, he sneaks over all the debris and comes up from behind, again, leaping off, just like you were talking about, Matt. Death from above. Yeah, and so they're like, oh, it got pretty quiet. Might be they're just reloading. Nuh-uh, Nichols says. No more reloading for them. And this shot of Howard's is so awesome with that giant gun. That's a great line. No more reloading for them. Yeah. It's like every uh, every still shot of Howard's is just like amazing. He's just like, you know, it's always like a nice cool pose. Yeah, it really that. is. But he's he's been damaged. So he's got bandages on and stuff. So he's sustained yeah. Doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> he's crazy. As the team move in, we learn that they were just a distraction for Yosef, who's doing some cool-ass spy work to get into Zinko Tower. And so we see him, like, shooting, like, a some sort of, like, line to rappel in on or something like that. I love this guy. He is the coolest. This feels like, like, who's, whose arc is this? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Is it, I mean, I know there are two separate teams, but is it Howard's? Is it Yosef? It just gets better and better. But I, I love, I'm so glad that they gave him a little bit of spotlight here because I think that what he does is just amazing. I love it. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, His part great. of the mission is some of the best yeah. stuff. And so here we get a flashback of what happened after Howard's captured Kurtz. Kurtz told them that eliminating Marsden would weaken the Black Flame. The Black Flame even created two bodyguards for Marsden, and so those were those two guys that we saw earlier, those two big monsters. And Kurtz also reveals that the Black Flame was brought back using the vessel that they were supposed to be working on for Johan. He mentions that they were making it suitable for a ghost agent. And so as he's talking, I really like this effect, like the dialogue just like minimizes to where it's unreadable because Yosef doesn't hear it anymore. He's just hearing ghost agent. Yeah. Yeah. He looks so pissed. Like he was so offended that they said that. Well, I was wondering if he was just like pissed because like Johan was trying to get this, make this body or something like that. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure. I mean, it's just weird because he's like ghost agent. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I I see how you could take it that way. Like, wait, he was doing this behind my back? But I don't think he was. Right. Right. Jiroko immediately knows that this looks bad. I don't think you should radio this information in, she starts to tell Yosef. Where is this Marsden? Tell me exactly where he is, Yosef tells Kurtz. And then so Yosef radios in to update Johan. And then while he's talking to Johan, Johan even asks him if he learned anything about the body. Johan, my brother... 
I'm afraid that will always be a mystery. And his face right here, you know, he's he's already decided that he's never going to tell Johan about that, right? Right. Well, because, I mean, I guess, I mean, the Black Flame inhabiting that body that he wanted. Right. I mean, he, I guess Johan would be, I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of weird when it comes to Yosef. Sometimes I think he's, like, angry, and then other times I think he did something, like, really poignant, like, spare his friend, like, this horrible right, news yeah. that the thing that he wanted most for himself is now the vessel of pure evil. Yeah, and I didn't think about this earlier, but I wonder if Johan would have objections to them killing the Black Flame, thinking that... Oh, maybe he could get... get the body back or something, or I don't know. God, I just I thought hope... of that right now. Anyway. God, I hope not. Yeah, but I, I, I do like we kind of see that, I don't know, at least I get the sense that Yosef really cares about Johan, and he's like, you know, really pissed and upset that this has happened to his friend. Well, and it's it's very smart storytelling to drop this flashback right in the middle of Yosef infiltrating this building. Right. We already know he's he shot a line across... Sure. And then they show this scene, uh, the flashback, which I think is, oh, okay, this is his motivation. Right. Yes, it is setting him up. Yeah. Because then when you turn the page, you're like, well, whatever you thought he was doing, now you know he's on a mission, right? He is armed. Yeah, and James Heron, with this next double splash page, he's just doing some amazing work over these pages. It's so fun to read. This storyline, I just found it... um, just really kind of self-propelling. It's just so much fun to kind of go through this. And so Yosef, he crashes through. We saw, like, he set up that line earlier. He just starts shooting down all these Zinko guards with these giant machine guns. It's just so badass, right? I like yeah, what he, he is badass. And I like what he says. He's like, you know, where are you? I won't creep like a thief. I want to fight for my victory. Can you stop me? Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, that's just so fucking... That resonated with you. Yeah, it was pretty badass. <laughs> <laughs> Below, the team goes in through the bottom of the building, back with Phoenix and the kid that she was talking to earlier. They watch this Ogdruhem lay an egg. There's this really disgusting scene where we see, like, all these kind of eggs coming down and just really nice monster work again. They talk a little bit about how the eggs get eaten and they fight each other, which is why there aren't monsters everywhere. They say it's survival of the fittest. We cut over to Johan and he's talking to the resistance guy. And uh, he was telling Liz where the black flame was. Didn't you try to at least stop her? How am I going to do that? You all in charge here, and she's in charge of you, the guy says. Johan says, Liz relies too much on her pyrokinesis. They could have backed her up. But we cut to Liz, and she's just smoking going up the stairs, so she's just decided to go on her own. So now it's her arc, right? It's so cool. Yeah. And this scene, I, I thought this scene was chilling. Look, she's She's a hero now, right? She wants to be heroic, but she's so confident. Right. And it doesn't strike me as overconfident because no, yeah. she's taking time to have like a smoke, right? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, one last cigarette, I might not make it. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. That's how I took it. It was like, I think I'm she gonna thinks have she one is going to make smoke. it. <laughs> well, so she's the only, I, I'm sure she's convinced that she's the only one who can face this guy. Yeah. Or, yeah, absolutely. Or who can face yeah. this threat, right? Well, and she's and, she's been through all of the the identity crisis, and she went through all the I'm not, I can't do it, and the the confidence mm-hmm. problems, and she's she's been battling this for a long time. We've seen these ups and downs. We've seen these incredible lows that she's had, and then like you know, like you said, she's she's so confident here. She just flicks a cigarette and walks up the stairs, right, and yeah. 
I really like that a lot. Well, also, she's um, taken down the Black Flame before, so she's also probably has that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That thought that, yeah, I did it once, so I could do it again. Did she know him as the Black Flame at that time? Right. Right, yeah. It just strikes me as she feels like she's in control. Mm -hmm. That's an incredible feeling, so I really... um... I really like the way that it was depicted here. Yeah, and just the pacing and the way that Heron draws her. It's just a really nice scene. And then I just literally like this panel where she's sitting on the steps from the flame up and the smoke. And she's just, yeah. the way he draws her is just so relaxed and just like, I got this. Yeah. Down below, Cronin leads a small group of Nazi, of, of Zinko guards. I was going to say Nazi guards. I guess it's the same thing. Same thing, yeah. They say they haven't faced anyone armed like this before. Cronin says, excuses are for the dead. And so they're still going at it. Up top in the Zinko Tower, Marsden's there, and he talks to Evelyn on the phone. Things are pretty fucked up, right, for all of them. The building has already been breached. Boom! And then suddenly Yosef bursts in. Good morning, comrade Marsden. We have business to discuss, he says. And so (laughs) that's really great. And he's confronted by these monster bodyguards that we saw earlier. And he's definitely got some like bullet damage on his suit, too. Oh, yeah, from shooting those guys. Yeah, so he has taken some gunfire already. So is that suit bullet-resistant? Yeah, he is. Well, but I mean, it, his, his suit's got like the, that liquid in it, and you can still see that it's in there. So Maybe the liquid is just I, in the head part. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, okay. Could be wrong. Could be wrong about that. And then so from behind Yosef comes the other monster. I really like the design of that green one. It kind of reminds me of a Guy Davis design. And as we've seen in previous James Heron stories, they really let him have at it with these action scenes. The work is just so dynamic. It's spectacular as they're fighting at it. So these guys are like throwing Yosef around. They're crashing through walls and floors. And Yosef just really gets a beating this green one, his arms are so long. I just really like that character design there as he's like flailing around. The green one kind of reminded me a little bit of um, one of the frogs monsters. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what I was BPID. saying. Yeah, it kind of reminded I mean, me of a BPID. Guy Davis design. The, the black flame would have around him. Yeah. yeah. That falling through the floor while fighting is classic Hellboy. Oh, yeah, you're right. Just in case you forgot, this is the Hellboy universe. Sure, right. right? There's all these characters <laughs> and all this stuff going on. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. Yeah, this is Hellboy Book Club Podcast. When was the last time we did a Hellboy story? It's been a while. Uh, since Hellboy in Hell. Yeah. As this one comes to pounce on Yosef, he gets a good blast at it in its face. I live beyond death and will live beyond you, he says as he blasts this thing. On the next page, we see that it wasn't even hurt by it, right? And yeah, and his, his whole arm is, like, all the way through. You know, oh, so, yeah. Oh, and there's, there's the liquid. There's the liquid yeah. coming out, yeah. yeah. And some of his guts. Yeah, mm-hmm. so um, his guts are flying everywhere. Guess who didn't like that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a me. Yeah, and so they're, you know, they smash <laughs> Yosef into the ground pretty hard. This last panel is just, like, splatter on black. Outside... Tion shares his candy bar with a monkey, but he's warned Mm -hmm. against it. And as they're talking, they talk about how animals have come back into the city. They have hyenas to keep people away. Oh, and this is where, I think this is where they say his name, Pichard. That's that guy's name, the resistance guy. Mm. He hands over a pack of cigarettes to Tian. Here, Liz said to give you these, he says. And Tion's like, like a going away present? Pitchard says, it might as well be. He's seen what the flame can do. 
from above, the locals call to Pritchard, and they say everyone needs to get on the roofs. Phoenix says it's coming, and coming fast. Who's coming, Tian says. Crickets. And so this page is so crazy. Yeah, I really like this. Have we seen these these monsters yet in the story? Not that I can remember, but man, these things are fucking creepy. Yeah. The way that this couple of them are like jumping in the air. Right. You you just get the idea that it's just unending swarm. Skittering around. Yeah, Yeah. just a horde coming at you. And Tion's reaction is great, too. (laughs) Up at the top of the Chrysler building, we enter this amazing space where the Black Flame's hanging out. This is just, uh, I don't even know how to describe this, right? It's almost like a kind of other dimensionally kind of. Yeah. It, yeah, it reminds, yeah. It reminds me of kind of almost Jack Kirby-ish, like, a you know, Doctor Strange type of thing. Right, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like from Sledgehammer. Remember the big glowing eyes and they're in that cosmic ah, realm? Yeah. Kind of, yeah, it kind of is like that. But it's just, you, you get the idea that physics aren't quite working the same here like it's an alternate dimension type of a thing all the floating ominous obelisks and uh you know the the weavy intricate the way the floor is laid out yeah it's very it's it's almost fractal like and it's very uh like he's creating it's very heavy metal Yeah, Yeah. yeah it's good stuff yeah so it's like this weird floating balcony thing there's just like they're just kind of floating in air it's very mind-bendy stuff. Can't say I was ready for this, Liz says. Maybe I passed out on the 79th floor and this is a dream. And so Liz confronts this enormous monster. This version of the Black Flame has such an incredible design. And it speaks this otherworldly language. And there's this super trippy dreamscape. And Liz just goes, Jesus, you're the Black Flame. God damn it, I know you. <laughs> right? So she's just like, she's not impressed, not impressed. by this at all. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, you killed Roger. That's what you said. And you apologized for it. And then you begged me to save you. You screamed and cried. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> and we get some good flashbacks of all of that happening from the Black Flame storyline. The Black Flame says he knows what Liz thinks she can do, but she didn't break the world. She killed him, but he came back. What she controls is less than near a solid substance. Is that what? He, is that how he's referring to the fire, I guess? I'm hmm. assuming. Yeah. And Liz just says that crap doesn't work on her anymore. And so I wonder if, if she's like kind of talking about Guilford too, because Guilford would speak in all this kind of ambiguous you know what i mean puzzle kind of phrases and she's just like that crap doesn't work on me anymore yeah that's a very good point i think you're right so i killed you good to know this time i'll get it right and she engulfs the black flame in this huge fireball but then as it all kind of all the smoke goes away he's still standing there totally untouched and he just says you won't and then there's this a huge blast of black fire on top of the Chrysler building and a big boom. We just see it totally wrecking the top of the tower. Okay, before the next issue, because this is going to be pretty fast paced probably, I just want to point out a reply from the uh, letter column. Ah, okay. In number 118, so part four, I wrote a letter talking about, you know, again, talking oh, cool. about how you got to read everything to appreciate the newest stuff like you got to start over yeah. from seat of destruction and read all the way up to yeah. the current issue. <laughs> and this was one of the best replies i ever got uh scott says we definitely designed them 
to reward rereading. Oh, Mike, nice. Mike and I just this second got off the phone after discussing how to tie in the end of Abe Sapien into a certain story from around 2004. Wow. And the, the best part, doing it so only the Strachbinds of the world will notice it. Oh, <laughs> nice. That's says, great. But that's what the letter column is for and the internet. And, you know, I'm sure had he written this today, he would have said the book club because that's exactly what he's talking Aww. about, right? The Strachbinds of the world are... That's us. That's our, the book club our book member. Club, yeah, right? That's yeah. all these... that Strachbind book club member. <laughs> we're just constantly geeking out over the details and, yeah. and it's like, it's like we were saying last time, how do you know what to connect and what not to connect when they're constructing the stories this way? Right. They're planting seeds specifically for, I mean, he used my name, but he's talking about, you know, everyone like me who's reading these things obsessively. So I just thought that was cool. Yeah, that is so awesome. That is pretty badass. That's also a great shout out too to be shouted out like that in the letter column by Scott Alley. Yeah, to have somebody make your name plural. <laughs> The Strachbinds of the world. I love that. You're the OG yeah. book club member, Matt, before there was a book club. Yeah, somebody said that one time, right? Maybe yeah. that's true. No, somebody oh, well. said that in one of the listener feedback. I forget which episode. But yeah, it's definitely, I definitely agree with that sentiment. That's yeah, cool. Well, now we are legion. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Chapter four. So I see now what you're talking about with the covers, Matt. Yeah, so now the red dot is... I mean, it's red, the only red, in right. the same location, but it's the eyes of the black flame. And so on those other ones, it kind of had a background that was a similar color palette, I want to say. So maybe we could interpret that as like we're zooming further out and seeing that that, that hovering presence in all the dark is the black flame. I like, like the that. marbles mm -hmm. made it on the cover, too. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Okay. And on the cover, this is where I was like... Oh, cool. Kate Corrigan, played by Emily Moss. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? Doesn't it look like her? It really does. Yeah, Raphael Albuquerque's got a really interesting take there. I like it. I think I think she could play Kate Corrigan in the TV show. Yeah, that would be awesome. I love the Ponya design, too. So, opening this issue, we see everybody watching the Chrysler building blow up. That huge explosion at the end of the last issue. Marsden, the monsters beating up Yosef, the BPRD team fighting the cricket swarm. And so we cut back over to the Chrysler building. We see in the we see Liz in the black flame. They both survive the explosion. They square off. And they have this really incredible superhero battle. It's probably the most superhero-y thing I've seen in any of this any of these books. Yeah, right? it's Completely kind of agree. Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> it's a real step up from Lightning War, which was Felt like the golden age version. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah, how appropriate that we just read that last week. I like that. And I think issue three of Lightning War came out between the first and second issue of this series. Ah, okay. So nice. there's maybe a deliberate overlap there. Nice. You know, the black flame goes running towards Liz and he like tackles her and they just go flying through the air. They're kind of like destroying all the buildings and everything. It's really incredible. Well, hold on now, hold on. Go ahead. You can't go past the the line where she says, just blew up your whole house for nothing, bone face. Right? <laughs> Can we just call him bone face for the rest of the... There you go. I like that. <laughs> I, okay. And I just hate the arrogance. I'm, I'm not going to be a broken record here, but I, I got to get it out of the way. 
this guy's so arrogant it drives me insane oh he does a lot of uh die. he does a lot of monologuing here yeah yeah it's horrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah but they sort of start they start going in and out of portals here right it's kind of what it looks like like um oh right who's the like nightcrawler from the x-men yeah right. i got that same kind of feeling you're talking about the the bottom bottom Those panel yeah, but, yeah yeah i, I kind of got that same feeling too because they show it at at the top of the page or the middle of the page where it's all white yeah and i was like oh wow it's like they went through a portal and then you keep seeing these See, little I thought that was just where he's connecting with her like he smashes into her and it unleashes a lot of energy mm-hmm. and then like they kind they don't of are, show them. It looks like they're just bouncing around Dragon Ball Z style to me. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe he's just creates like smoke and flame that you have to go through. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, they're definitely. It could be portals. Um, I have no. I actually don't on know. the move. I mean, it could also just be like ambiguous, but it could also be because you know, like like the room that like his, I guess his office that they that she just went to visit, um, how it's all floaty and everything. Maybe the, his is, office <laughs> it is going around in portals. <laughs> He is like the CEO. Right. Over with Yosef, the monsters are distracted. They're looking at the fight between the Black Flame and Liz. So easily distracted, Yosef says. And so we see this grenade bounce over. The green monster gets totally blown out of the window. Yeah, he is not beaten. Over with Johan's team, they continue battling the crickets. They just keep coming. They're shooting them and blasting them with bazookas, but it doesn't seem to be helping. Phoenix thinks that she's going to die there. And the kid that she's with says, that fire lady could really help, but maybe she's dead. Suddenly there's a whoosh and a flashing light, and this huge flash comes flying through, igniting all the crickets and sending the team flying back. Great double page here to like illustrate all that motion, and this like tremendous yes. fireball. It just looks so like reckless. a comet, you know, just like going through yeah. the sky. But it seems calculated too, right? Or was it? Did she intend to like get all the crickets or? No, <laughs> I I doubt it. I, I think she's just um, trying to kill him now. Yeah, that's, that's how I took it too. It was just they got lucky on the there. Right. And when has she exhibited this much power or her power in this way? Oh, yeah. Right? Never. Yeah. So I think she's kind of like, I mean. She looks like a comet now. Yeah. I, I'm sure she's not, like, you know, fully in control of the damage uh, or, or the casualties. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Reckless. Over with Yosef, he finally takes out this last monster. They really give us good pacing on this. So the monster's, like, hanging on the side of the building. He kicks this beam to, like, for it to fall down to the ground. I like how the uh, monster's only got, like, the one limb left. He, like, blew off an arm and two legs. Oh, yeah. You're right. And then that look on his face right before he uh, stomps on that thing. And you can see the it looks kind of like a skull in his eye. Yeah. And, you know, his helmet's all smashed now, too. So all of that juice or whatever that he has to get, like, we saw in another one, he has to get it, like, replaced and stuff like that. So none of that's there. But, you know, he's still fighting. So he's not just the director of the SSS. He's a badass here. And after the monster falls down... Uh, Yosef just collapses. He's like holding his guts in. Oh yeah, you're right. I didn't notice that detail. In the crater where the huge flash crashed down, we see Liz is down and the black flame taunts her. He says that when she killed him, she sent him into the heart of the dragon, a part of the seven who are one, but too small a part. The perfect song of the void is only beautiful if you can hear it. 
mighty music but not mine the throbbing of life is what's precious he says and the throbbing it, of life that is <laughs> i hate this guy man <laughs> i know i promised i wouldn't repeat myself no it's this, fine he's such an arrogant prick <laughs> and we've said this before that's why he's such a great villain right yeah yeah. As far as villains go, I don't think I've ever hated one this much. I mean, <laughs> All together now. Kill, kill the kill black, black flame. <laughs> <sighs> and as he's talking from behind him, these many-eyed slug monsters, they start to, like, come out. Nothing can take it from me now, he says. And Liz says what we're all thinking. All this is bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> and she shoots fire at him, and one of these eels, like, it jumps in front of it to kind of take the shot. I really love the way that they did the bullshit right there because they, you know, a lot of times they just throw the symbols. Right, yeah. And then this is bullshit, but it covered by the flame. And I like that her hair is on fire. Oh, yeah. Oh, her whole head's good, on yeah. fire, yeah. Yeah, she's doing her human torch impression right here. It looks fucking badass. It looks real good. Yeah. yeah. And so she has to battle these slug monster things. She says in a couple seconds, she'll have him in pieces again. Count them for me. Count the seconds, the black flame says. And then this huge Ogdrahem comes from underneath and it like swallows up all the slugs and her, right? And so, of course, we had to get this kind of moment with Liz, the big monster, like it starts glowing red from the inside and then she just bursts out of his guts, right? Just yeah, really, really fire. awesome. Yeah, she, yeah, you're right. She's all fire. Liz blasts upwards, taking the black flame with her in the air and like shooting right through this building. It's just really awesome. Just high kinetic action i mean you have to check out these pages you definitely gotta you know don't be just listening to the episode or if you are just listening to it go back and look at these pages because the action is just so amazing well it's a sheer sense of scale and motion but he does not sacrifice any details you still get buildings in the foreground right um, and yeah. and just when the team is watching her it, it's like they zoom out, but they zoom out to their perspective, right. which I thought was right. very cool. And I also love the way that Liz is using her powers there. We've never seen her do anything like this, and just the yeah. the level of control that yeah. she's had. Because we've seen her be super fucking powerful, but it's always been kind of just sort of wild. But this is just precise, right. like, a, like a surgeon with a scalpel. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and if he's the black flame, she's the flame flame. Right. <laughs> we do zoom out and we see Johan's team watching all this. And Tian is pretty pumped to see all this. And as they talk, we learn that her blast scared all the crickets away. They want to help her, but they don't feel they'd be much use. Johan says it was Liz's choice to engage the black flame. Nobody stopped her because nobody could. And he says they'll meet up with the other team and Liz at the rendezvous location. Phoenix says, what if Liz isn't there? Johan says, Phoenix didn't, you point out earlier that this was a fact-finding mission. So he throws that back in her face right at that point. And so suddenly they're ambushed by this monster. They shoot it down, but Phoenix worries how they'll make it out without Liz. Phoenix says that she's not leaving without Liz. And the kid uh, that she's with... They're like, how do you even find her when she's off in the sky? I know where she's going to be, Phoenix says. And so she just starts walking off. At the Zinko building, we see Leonid and the BPRD crew are overpowering the Zinko guards. Marsden is ordering Evelyn around, saying they'll use firing squads on unloyal soldiers. And as they walk down the stairs, they see Yosef. 
Marsden, he yells. What do you want? Who are you? Marsden asks. Someone with a friend, Yosef says. And so Marsden orders Evelyn to shoot at Yosef. Yes, kill for the master, Yosef says. For him, it's only a few words to say. What is it for the souls of his firing squads? I don't think Mr. Marsden worries much about that. To him, my friend isn't even human, just a ghost. So the, there he's going back to that ghost oh, Asian yeah. comment. Yeah. A spirit without a body. He said he could fix that. He told my friend he would give him that body. Liar. And so Marsden is like, shoot him, shoot him. But Yosef just grabs Marsden by the neck and he holds him up against the wall. Why would anyone do as you say, Marsden? You're no lord. You're nobody's salvation. You're an anchor to hell. And he just squishes Marsden's fucking neck and all this like blood yeah. squirts out and everything. Evelyn takes off running. She drops the gun. And Yosef just holds Marsden up. You thought you saw a great man in the mirror, yes? But you died a little man today. Oh, man. Hell yeah. Yosef, Nazi great. hunter. That was just so yeah. satisfying, too. Love it. Yeah, I think I yes. think I think that this is, you know, by far one of the readers, you know, favorite moments in the whole series is seeing this this showdown at the end with Yosef and Mars and finally able to take this guy out. Seeing this fuckwad get what he deserves for sure. Yeah, and I think it's also I like this per you know, that he's got this personal beef because of his friendship with Johan and stuff like that. Right, especially because well, we were all kind of a uh, little bit on the, at least I that's was, what I was on the say. Fence. Oh, okay. That's I didn't mean exactly to cut you that, off. No, I'm go sorry. ahead. I love that. I love that. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to interrupt you while you were saying that. No, but um, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, we're all kind of on the fence about Yosef. Like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. where you know, it's it's a little bit nebulous, and I kind of feel like I don't trust him. And it's, but yeah, this this seals it for me because Johan's nowhere around. No one else from the team is around. Yeah. he's not performing this for anyone. And he's he almost just got himself killed to yeah. doing this mission. Absolutely. He's speaking from the heart here, and you can you can really tell that he means it. And so that that seals the deal for me as far as that character and, and his motivations. I was gonna say it's a um this character has come a long way from a guy who is just a dead corpse in a submarine. And yeah. it's just like I mean, you think about it, it's kinda sure. like a, a throwaway type right. character. Yeah. Yeah. We could have never seen him again, but then all of a sudden he turns into this guy and Oh my god, that was—he's such a badass. I mean, I yeah, was on the—I was on the fence too. <laughs> you could never see these two characters' paths intersecting in this no, way. Yeah. If if you had told me at any point up till now, um, or asked me how do you think Marsden will die, who do you think will kill him, I never would have guessed it right. was Joseph. Right. Yeah. And yeah. then, and then of course, like the letter column starts with Scott Alley doing like a a third of the page write up about Yosef's character. Oh, okay. For this chapter? Yeah. He's like, man, I love Yosef. And then he goes into like, he says, think about this character. Arcudi Minola introduced him as a throwaway character in Ape Sapien two-parter, right? right. The Abyssal Plane. And then he's, you know, he brings you through uh, Hell on Earth, Russia, Cold Day in Hell, right up to this moment. But it's like you just said, Aubrey. I mean, this guy was just like a corpse in the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. And Marsden was this whole separate thing, right? Right. Were they always meant to be in this scene together? Probably not. But look at how perfect it worked. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like it, it really fit. I don't know. I mean, Yosef's become one of my favorite characters, too. And it's just like, yeah. whenever I see him, it's just like, I don't know what's going on with this guy. But then all of a sudden, he's like, he always fucking, no, of course. Why am I questioning you, Yosef? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like all bluish gray now. Yeah. Like, you know he's not in good shape. Right, yeah. 
but he gets the job done. Yeah. Chapter five. And oh, so we've got a really cover. cool cover here. Yeah. Is the it, blood? Yeah, the blood is on the sword, and it's and it's like recreating the BPRD logo, also. Okay, so I actually didn't notice that until right now. I didn't <laughs> notice it when I read through the other day, and while like, do do cool cover, let's go on. <laughs> <laughs> we open in on Tion running. He's chasing after Phoenix. He says he can't let her go after Liz alone, and he suddenly loses his train of thought as they come across this enormously disgusting Ogdruham that's like laying all these eggs. And the way that James Heron and Dave Stewart make it look like transparent and all the colors like really make it horrible. <laughs> it's very horrible. <laughs> and I love Tion's reaction where he's like, holy crap, what the Christ is that? His The look on his face is great. That's our reaction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this thing is so disgusting. But Phoenix just says, it doesn't really matter, does it? Come on, we've got ground to cover. We cut over to Enos. He's got Kurtz with him. He's the one that has to guard him. And he breaks off this piece of the Ashen building. Kurtz says he regrets telling them everything. He'll certainly be executed. And so Jeroko comes up. We're not leaving you behind, High Pockets, she says. We'll clean out a spot under Johan's bed, and the two of you can share strudel recipes late into the night. (laughs) (laughs) But did you see what Enos drew on the wall? Yep. Oh, shit. I did not. So he broke off that little ashen piece of the building, and then they showed him like doing something, and then they show here he drew that little Abe symbol. Oh, man. Yeah. Is it like a religious thing for him, or is he actually leaving a marker for Abe? I don't know. That's interesting, though. Yeah, I think maybe he's thinking, if, if you're going to go with one, go with this one. Sure. So he's doing a little, you know, street propaganda. And, uh, yeah, but that's interesting. He's, yeah. He's at least thinking about Abe. Sure. Oh, well, now now we got to see where Abe Sapien, the series, was at at this point. Oh, okay. Yeah, where was it when this issue came out? I have to look into that. See, man, these guys. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot. It's like a part-time job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we see Leonid. He's got Yosef, who's all still beat up. Jiroko tells Enos that Cronin and the Zinko guards just retreated, and Yosef managed to get down to them. Nichols sees what he thinks is a jet, but it's Liz and the Black Flame, and they're still continuing their sky battle. We cut over to them, and as Liz slams the Black Flame down, she says she knows he's a real badass, but he can't kill her. And the Black Flame yells for quiet. You'll hear the hum, the breathing island, he says. And from behind Liz, this enormous Ogdurham comes out of the water. The scale of this thing is just tremendous. I really like the design and the weight of this guy as he's like splashing all around. The coloring also just makes it look so real, like the shading and the, yeah. you know, the texture. And That's the... what it is. I was trying to like put my finger on it. Like what makes this panel look so realistic really and cool? Real. Yeah, but the shading is a big part of that too. Well, and of course, you know, the the actual drawing of it is so detailed and it's like he didn't focus on the details to be like to it's just it something about it tricks your mind into thinking this is yeah, real. Yeah, yeah. The birds give it scale too that are oh, yeah. around it. The the motion lines are expertly done. It's not overdone. As big as this thing is, over the next few panels, Liz just totally roasts this monster, right? We got expert lighting going on here too. So the coloring continues to be absolute expert level. Yeah. Looks like those 
birds were kind of monster birds or oh, something. Yeah. Too, right? yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, Liz is full on fire, but then when she turns it off, her clothes are still there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is awesome. Like, I they don't even explain how she does that, but it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Because. <laughs> This is the evolution, man. This is this is the coolest she's ever been. Yeah, yeah, super good. The black flame after this one falls, he just brings up like four more of these huge monsters. And um, yeah, the way that they splash out of the ground, James Heron is just blowing us away with this monster work. The black flame is bringing out his big guns. Just lots of motion. I don't know what else you can say. It's just amazing. I hope he got paid extra. For this issue, for right. this story arc, because <laughs> he is doing so much work on this, it's incredible. It really is. I mean, think about what the Devil Does Not Jest. Is that when he first debuted? I think so. Yeah. Think about how far he's come. Oh yeah, he's amazing. He's yeah. definitely the fan favorite in in many ways. Over with Johan's team and the Resistance. They wish they still had Phoenix as they battle all these amazingly designed monsters. Um, awesome colors. I really like the colors on this blue and green one that pops out of the ground. God damn, they all out today, one of them says. Yeah, so they're just shooting all these monsters. Johan's got a great line as they wish they had Liz. It's not possible to fight with what you want, so fight with what you have. I really like that. Well, that Liz said that when she infiltrated the hospital in Lake of Fire, right? She goes, I ran out of bullets five minutes ago. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's and true. she was just using the gun itself as a bat. Yeah, you're right. And yeah, we don't mention John Arcudi enough, but he just kills it with all these character moments and these little character beats, these little lines that they have here and there are just really like nice rallying moments for the team. And the action just doesn't stop over with Yosef's team. We get Howard's. He's just hacking away at one of those eel guys. Jiroko orders Leonid to go ahead with Yosef. And so I really like that moment. He's like, you need Leonid's gun. I like how he refers to himself in the third person. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, no, just go. So I really like that. She's thinking more about Yosef, too. Um, they have also a, a bond together. Back over with Liz and the Black Flame. The Black Flame, you know, when he's monologuing, he's continually said that he's one with all the life there. And so here he kind of explains that more to Liz. He says that he's connected to everything alive there. And as long as there's anything alive, he will stay alive. She would have to burn every living thing in New York, people and animals, just to defeat him. And so on this next page, he starts to, like, charge up. And this work by James Heron, like, makes me wish I had bigger eyes so I could just look at this stuff more because <laughs> it's just so incredible. And so the color is obviously ramping it up as well. And so he's just, like, charging up. He makes this huge boom. And so right here at the end, he says in Latin, life always wins. That's what that means as that huge crack comes out of the sky. Mm. Don't forget that he spoke to her in Latin. Okay. Yeah. And so the fucking sky opens up or something, right? It's it's hell on earth. Yeah. I mean, this black flame just destroys everything with this massive shockwave of black firepower and a huge boom. We just see everything exploding, but we do see in the corner that Leonid got away with Yosef. That's probably the only way he would have survived. Yeah. Yeah. We see Johan's team. They thought it sounded like a nuke. And some guys were crushed. We see some guys were crushed under a building. But the monsters flee. 
Johan says they'll make the bridge by dawn no matter what. Over with Tion and Phoenix, they find Liz. Phoenix did know where she would be after all, and she's all like buried in the ground. Wasn't there a Hellboy story where they found him and he was like, he had been blown up and buried in the ground too and they had to dig him out? Do you remember which one that was? Oh, crap yes i'll have to find it but that's what this reminded me of because she's like half buried you know and they got to like pull her out of the earth and as they pull her out of the ground liz is muttering what'd you say phoenix asks life always wins she says back at the aircraft carrier we seem that the team got out Droka wishes they could do more for yosef kate says the sss will probably know what to do and that the team has their own injured we see Phoenix reunite with Bruiser, so that's always good. And we also see that they brought back the Resistance members from New York, which is also pretty cool. I Look like his that. little stubby yeah. tail is wagging so hard. Oh, yeah. The little wagging tail. I like that little detail. <laughs> that's cute. Well, the guy's like, you never said you had no dog. And I'm like, well, when would that have come up? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and Johan talks to Liz. And Liz looks like fucking Marv from Sin City. She's got all the band-aids all over her and all the scratches and everything. She's got like a cast on her arm. She tells Johan that she was stupid. I wanted to be the hero. I wanted to slay the dragons, save everybody. Had I stuck with you, Troxel and Rain would still be alive. So I guess those are the two red shirts that got crushed under the building. (laughs) Good one. She says Johan's the hero because he got everybody else out alive. And Johan, he's like, I'm mad at you, but you played a part in everybody getting out. Your conflict with the Black Flame obviously had him fully engaged. We were able to scurry out under his radar, I believe, because of that. Who knows, but that it may have been easier for others to escape as well. We'll just have to wait and see. And we see in the aftermath of all this... Cronin survived, and he's got the fucking head of Von Klempt. I saw a, well, it's like I texted you, I was just like, God damn it. Fucking get rid of this guy. No, it was so funny because you were texting me as you were reading it. Yeah. And when Yosef killed Marsden, you were like, so satisfying. Yes. And then the next text that I got from you said, God damn it, and it had this panel of Cronin <laughs> getting out of there with Von Klempt. So yeah, that was great. So the Black Flame doesn't know Marsden's dead, but... Evelyn's alive. So you could see her having to kind of take that role. And I, I should think reluctantly, right? Because right, she doesn't, yeah. I mean, she's playing along, but she doesn't seem like devout, right? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I wonder how, if, I don't remember if they reveal just how like into it she is, she is with this stuff. Because is it like just her job or? Well, do you remember how when uh, she walked into a secret office, she's like, what the hell is all this shit? Right. I have a yeah. feeling it's a survival thing for her. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, so are, are you saying, though, like, going forward, you don't remember if they addressed yeah, it I don't. Yeah, I, I don't remember if going forward. Uh, I'm they, sure. They, yeah, they definitely do. Okay. Yeah. They, um, it's nice how they keep putting her in there. Because she has a full story. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, she doesn't have a backstory. We don't know how she got the job, but she was probably just climbing the corporate ladder. And look, <laughs> then hell came to earth, and right, the corporate yeah. ladder became like really distorted. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so yeah, she's in survival mode. But the only question I have at the end of this arc is, what is the state of affairs for Zinko now? Right. Because they they definitely hurt him. Big time, because they were saying Marsden was a guy who was 
keeping it all together. Right. Yeah. He was he was basically the one running the show. And so now that he's gone, I don't think Evelyn's a suitable replacement, although she may be the next in line. Well, I mean, she's his, she was the CEO's assistant. I mean, she wouldn't technically be promoted to CEO because of it. Um, yeah, but it doesn't really look like they have a boardroom no or anything. More, yeah. yeah, like chain of command. <laughs> yeah. It's but just I mean, kind of like... Who are the Nazi people? Well, and also, I mean, we saw like that field with all the people out there, the slaves in the garden. The city just got like pretty destroyed. So like, I don't even know if like any of that is still around or what, you know? Oh, man. I didn't even think about that. So that was their big deal was we don't know what's going on in New York. So we have to lead an assault. Now they have. Right. Well, what was going on there was the Black Flame is is ruling. And Zinko is in charge. But now what? I, I mean, they've been hurt, but they don't bother to tell you how much. Sure. It's yeah. like it's it's left open to interpretation mm-hmm. until the next arc. I mean, we still don't. I mean, we don't have a I mean, we don't know what happened to the Black Flame, right? I mean, he attacked and then he just. Yeah. I mean, he ain't dead until I see a body. Right. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. No, I assume that bastard is still out there. Yeah. Motherfucker. <laughs> I'm looking at page 395 in the omnibus version. We have uh, some nice sketchbook work by James Heron. He's got his designs for Liz as well as the Zinko guards. And he talks a little bit about here. He says the Zinko guards were meant to be human at some point. I think John mentioned them being corporate Renacop goons that the Black Flame warped into Marsden's muscle. And so I like that little backstory on there. We see Heron's designs for all the monsters and we see the designs for that crab, hermit crab monster. And uh, in the little cartoon that Heron's drawing, it's it, the crab is talking. It says, I put my butts in dir. Do you see that? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That was great. Yeah. This beetle monster fucking horrible thing it looks once again like the brain bug from um, Starship Troopers at the end of the movie. Oh, from yeah. a side view. At the bottom, it says... The following pages feature variant covers for the series celebrating the 20th anniversary since BPRD's first appearance in Hellboy Seed of Destruction in 1994. And so for this series, there were all these variant covers out there, and they're really great. I'll have to share these online. But I do have this one with Hellboy, Abe, and Liz with the frog monster behind them with the bullfrog. I really like that one. I got that one, too. Yeah, I had to get that one. That's just like a nice throwback cover. Yeah, it really is. We've also got a James Corbin one, um, James Heron doing Abe and the Black Flame. I really like that one. And then I want to talk about this variant, this Ryan Sook variant, which I think is really great. It's very reminiscent of that arc that he did for Hollow Earth. And then we get a really cool Kevin Nolan kind of throwback variant cover. It's got Daimyo and the Were Jaguar on there. Yeah, all of these covers are just great. <laughs> yeah, they're really cool. Hey, quick show of hands. If they did one of those IDW artist edition books for these five issues, would you buy it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would. If they did an artist edition on anything, James Heron, I'd probably buy it. But especially this one. Just, I mean, I'm always torn because I love it colored. But I want to see it before it was colored. I would like to see that too. Yeah. I just want to see the inks. Yeah, I like I like having things like that. Um, I have the Batman Hush unwrapped traded home, the hardback one, and right. It's, and it's all just the uh, the pencils, but it's so cool to see because you see it you see it in the beginning and you see it at the end, and it's just I, I love seeing stuff like that. I love seeing. Yeah, you know? see, I can't I can't do 
single issue trade paperback library edition omnibus i can't do all those. <laughs> yeah but i i would buy almost every single issue twice if it came colored and then just pencils or just inks or whatever right you know? yeah you know, i would spend money on that all right so uh that was a great episode it's great to be back with the bprd and yeah i'm really excited to see what's coming next what would you guys think of the storyline yeah it was a good one. Oh, it was wonderful epic I mean, it it feels so satisfying because, like, at the end of Return of the Master, you see the Black Flame, uh, Boneface, uh, pop up, <laughs> and um, <laughs> then we spent like, I don't know, I mean, all this time building up to this story because you know, like, if it was like a, one of the big two, the next issue would bend the story, and right. it probably wouldn't have felt as satisfying as this. And then we just spent like we went through the whole. You know, PPRD in the street, Abe Sapien storyline, even going back in time with the lobster and yeah, the sledgehammer, that was and cool. then just all of it, and then we get here, and it's just like, oh my god, that was so satisfying. Yeah, and so for next week, we're actually going to be out of town, and we don't have a backup episode lined up, but this episode's going to be pretty long, so you're going to get a nice long episode this week, and then next week we're probably going to have an outtakes episode. So I'll throw something together on the outtakes side. I was looking at this. I have outtakes going all the way back from January um, of this year. So there's a bunch. Oh, cool. And I think uh, I think I'll I'll try to get some with you in there, Matt. Although you don't come in until I think episode forty something or something like that. So. Yeah, and I never say anything foolish that has to get cut out anyway. So. <laughs> I think I think I have a couple with Good you luck. on there, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. So I'll throw together an outtakes episode in the U.S. Here, it's going to be Labor Day anyway. So I thought, you know, if we're going to take a week off, at least that's the weekend. I'll still give you something to listen to if you want to hear an outtakes episode, and then we'll be back the week after that back on our book club schedule. So thanks again, everybody. And so uh, we'll be a little bit light for next week, but that's all good. We'll be back on track after that. You'll be hearing from us another book club episode in two weeks. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Share us your thoughts on the BPRD, Hell on Earth, the reign of the Black Flame. Kill that bastard. You can... uh, you can send us a hey you damn guys at Hellboy Book Club at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the Discord link in the reading list on our Facebook about page. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. And then always be sure to check out our friends at Mignolaverse.com. And always, always a special thank you to Paul from Garderhard for that amazing theme yeah. and um, all the hard work that. Um, Mark Tweedell and John put in for the reading list. So um, next week we are gonna be on vacation. Yeah. So um, enjoy, enjoy the fun little episode we'll have for you, and uh, then be sure to join us again for the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas, and I'm Daniel, and I'm Matt Strackbine, and I'm Aubrey Lovelace. Saying you just blew up your whole house for nothing, bone face. <laughs> yes. <laughs>